I really felt trapped. Like you said, I spent tens and thousands, probably close to $100,000 in my education to get to this point that I didn't want to be in. So I was either going to be like depressed and hate my life for the rest of existence or do something about it. In a time plagued by groupthink, a tribe known as the Millionites have emerged from the depths of time to alter our trajectory for the betterment of humanity. These are their chronicles. Welcome to our community, where every single week we'll study the craft of some of the most successful entrepreneurial leaders in their given area of expertise. We'll take a trip down memory lane, long before the millions, to uncover their secrets to success and how they've achieved their goals. By doing this, we can fast track our way to success and live the life we've always dreamt of. So, whether you are looking to attain financial freedom, location independence, or reaching the millionth mark of your milestones and more, then you've come to the right place. Stick around to find out what works, what doesn't, and how you can reach your millions. If you would like instant access to our back catalog, visit us at beforethemillions.com. And now, your host, DeRay Olaleye. What's good, BTM community? I'm your humble host, DeRay Olaleye, and we are back. Back for another episode. This is episode 14. And... It's another great episode. I'm excited to get into it. We are interviewing Ari. Ari is a wholesaler and flipper. And Ari was able to leave her W-2 job in 11 months. Isn't that crazy? Can't wait to get into her story, guys. You're going to enjoy it. Going to take away a lot from her story and, you know, her why and how she got started. It's going to be amazing. I'm recording this on a Sunday morning. It's 8.44 a.m. and... Woke up around six this morning and did some Sunday cleaning. Just got off the phone with my mom. Her birthday just passed. Super excited that she's joyous and she's happy and, you know, she's getting everything she wants out of life. A lot of times I talk about the, the misconceived reality that our parents faced and, and our grandparents faced and how they passed it down to us and, you know, just from things on how school works, how the economy works, how money works, things like that. You know, I would always be talking about our parents in the sense that, you know, most of our parents, you know, a good amount of our parents. And it's funny because my mom listens to the show. When I'm when I'm talking to guests and I'm, you know, I'm talking to you guys and I'm telling you guys about how we were raised to think and and things of that nature, you know, I was fortunate enough to where my mom, you know, isn't or wasn't an example that I that I couldn't follow. You know, from day one, my mom has been <laughs> my mom has been the number one influence in my life. And it's funny because I've watched her be an entrepreneur all her life and and I've learned so much from her. Like <laughs> my mom has opened up and owned daycares to grocery stores, to cleaning services, to patient services to childcare services. My mom has, has done it all. And I've, and I've been able to, to watch her grow and flourish. And my mom is not from here. She's not, you know, she wasn't born here. My mom was born in Nigeria. She, she came to the United States when she was, when she was younger, she came to go to college here and she was the first one to ever do it. What's crazier is my mom didn't even get her citizenship until, you know, maybe a decade ago. So she's the ultimate hustler. She's been getting it off the muscle since day one. And she's always, you know, kind of been on that path. And it's crazy because I, I didn't pick it up sooner. <laughs> the top things that my mom wanted me to be growing up were a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, an actor. <laughs> she still thinks I'd be the best actor in the world. But we never really talked about entrepreneurism or businesses, owning businesses or buying businesses. And that's all she did. And for the longest, I didn't really pay attention. But when I did start paying attention and I, when I did start realizing what she was doing and how she was doing it, <laughs> I mean, I'm blown away by my mom every day. And I just, I just thank God for her. And I'm trying to tell you, I've never met another human being <laughs> like this woman. I remember like when I was a kid, I remember us going from, 
you know, lower middle class to middle class to, you know, upper middle class back down to lower middle class and, and even, even losing it all. And, you know, having to go through that whole process and my mom still powering through and finding her way and going through that cycle again, that entrepreneurial cycle and, you know, us hitting the bottom again, you know, in high school, but every single time we would hit the bottom, every single time we would hit the bottom, she would find a way. And nine times out of 10, 10 times out of 10 as her kids, you know, I was the oldest. I am the oldest. It's two of us. My mom has two kids. My dad has three. Yeah, man, as her kids, we didn't miss a heartbeat. We didn't even notice. I mean, she always found a way to provide as a foreign single mother, raising two needy, very needy kids. So yeah, hopefully she gets to listen to this episode and I just wanted to wish her a happy birthday. Okay, moving on. Have you been to our website lately? Have you been to our website at all? Visit beforethemans.com and it's a pretty cool website. We have show notes for every single show. So basically a summary of the show, major topics covered on the show, tweetables, and links to everything we talk about on the show. So if we talk about a book that you seem interested in, it'll be on the show notes page of that show. This show, for example, is episode 14. So you would visit beforethemillions.com slash episode 14. Easy peasy. I know. But yeah, so check out our show notes page. We also have blog posts and our blog posts will cover a range of topics. Some personal blog posts up there as well about me and my journey before the millions. So check out our blog posts. Also visit our resources page at beforethemillions.com slash resources. And there you will find a plethora of resources ranging from niches like real estate investing podcasting. You can find podcast resources and some of the podcasting tools that I use to record my podcast. You will find a recommended book list and I am building a top 10 recommendation list, just different things that I recommend. So be on the lookout for that. But yeah, definitely visit our resources page. Take advantage of that. There's going to be a lot of goodies there. If you haven't already, joined our Facebook group. We are starting to grow that group and there will be dropping a lot of different resources again and articles and the plethora of things and and discounts and goodies and all sorts of stuff. We'll be able to talk about, you know, all things investing and mindset and, you know, it'll be a a nice community to get connected and, and network with other people and even network with some of the previous guests and future guests. Many of them are in the Facebook group. So definitely take advantage of that. Again, it's free. Everything is free. Should definitely take advantage of, you know, being able to talk to some of these, some of these successful people that we've been able to come across and get on the show. So yes, join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash before the millions. Apart from that, guys, I think that if you haven't already picked up my free ebook, Get Paid to Live for Free, which is just a little short ebook on the benefits of house hacking and how to get paid to live for free by doing that. So if you're interested in in kind of starting out in real estate, definitely visit beforethemillions.com slash book or send a quick email to info at beforethemillions.com and title that email live free. And you should receive a copy of the book in your email. So enjoy. Let me know what you think. And if you need help getting started, I'd be glad to help. I'd be glad to assist in any way possible. I think that's all we have, guys. Let's get into the show. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said, we can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible, an Amazon company that produces high-quality audiobooks. Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial and one free book as soon as you sign up. So, if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. Today, I'd like to welcome Ariane Lemire to the show. Hi, Ariane. How's it going? 
Hi, DeRay. Good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being back on the show. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you. We, we've had some technical difficulties as of late. We actually recorded this episode a few days ago. And when I sent the episode off to my editor, I realized that there was a glitch in the recording and you were so gracious enough to provide us with another interview. So I'm super excited to dive right back into your story. Just a little background on Ari. She is an active real estate investor with a growing portfolio. She specializes in fix and flip properties as well as wholesaling. Ari is an outstanding example of pure will. And you guys will see what I mean in a minute. You won't believe what she's been able to do in just 11 months. Ari, if you don't mind giving the listeners some context as to what you are currently focused on before we hop in the time machine. Okay. Well, it's actually been 18 months since we started, so a little longer than 11. So right now, like you said, we're focused on fix and flips in the Florida Panhandle. So we're located in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. A lot of people know it as the Emerald Coast or Destin is kind of a tourist destination. Right now, I think this year we've completed about 15 wholesales and I think 11 flips. And so right now we're focusing on fix and flips and wholesaling and really building a team and building systems around those that focus so that we can have a business that essentially you know is its own thing and who who is we so right now it's me and my husband and we have three team members who work with us to make that all happen okay and we're gonna we're gonna dive into a lot of that and so but you were able to leave the workforce in 11 months correct that's where i got 11 months oh yes yes okay 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 cool 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 so let's hop in the time machine let's figure out how all of that happened how all of that transpired and 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 get into the good stuff so you know where are you from how did you grow up and and what kind of you know paved your path and shaped your mentality to kind of you know explore entrepreneurship and and kind of get into this so maybe take it back a little bit for us and, and we'll work our way up okay so i was actually born in the philippines And then my family decided to move to New Zealand. So I lived there for about six or seven years and then met my husband, who's from Florida, which is why I'm here now. And I moved here about three and a half years ago, which is around the time we got married. And around that time, it was I just had finished grad school. I went to school for speech language pathology. So undergrad, grad school, you know, my parents told me get a good job and you know, you're set. That's that's it, right? That's that's life. Get a job, get a, a husband, start a family. That's all you'd ever want. Which is true, except, like I said, some of my family live in the Philippines and some of them live in New Zealand still. And Chris's family live in Florida. So once we started working, I really just felt trapped because, you know, I was in the medical field and I worked crazy hours. I couldn't hardly get time off. It takes about a day to fly to either New Zealand or the Philippines, and I couldn't get a week off. So I just realized I couldn't, you know, the job that I thought was going to be my life, I couldn't do that because we'd never see my family. And how would we ever even start our own family if they can't have time with their grandparents and relatives? So that's really where it all started. I felt trapped. We had an early life crisis, and we started looking for a way out of that. So I think our original plan was to just save, like live as frugally as we could and save all the cash we could until we could reach this goal. And I think the plan was like to save a million dollars and put it in the stock market and get 5%. And we were going to be happy living off of that indefinitely. So that's kind of where it all started. Okay. Okay. So your 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 plan, and we'll kind of get into your your why in a little bit here about your family and how you wanted to start a family. But but your plan was to save up one million dollars, or roughly one million dollars, and earn a five percent return through the stock market or, or some asset vehicle to finance your lifestyle. Is that correct? Yes. So let's kind of walk through that process. How did you start going about doing that, and maybe what happened in that process that made you change your mind? Okay, so like I said, we just started saving. And while we were saving, we were researching the stock market and other investment vehicles. And I think while we were Googling, we found Bigger Pockets, which is like a kind of a real estate forum. And we watched one of the webinars and 
they were talking about all these great returns, much higher than 5% that we were aiming for. And we were like, if we can do that, just try one of those investment vehicles in real estate, then we'd get to our goal a lot faster, not to mention we could get more out of our money once we do get that goal. So we started off buying rentals is where we started. Bought a couple. They didn't really need much work. We used something called a delayed financing exemption, which is if you buy a property for cash and it's worth like 25% more of what you bought it for, you could finance pretty much all your cash out. So like I said, our first plan was just to save, save, save. So we had saved, you know, a chunk of money. And then we bought those two rentals right at the uh, after the other because of that cool way you can do it, delayed financing. So really quick, really quick, Ari. So your plan was to save, save, save. Now, did you have any student loans at the time? Yes, I did. So, you know, you're working a full-time job and you're able to save a substantial amount of money, obviously, for rentals because you're trying to save a million dollars. So how were you able, you know, just advice for the listeners, how were you able to save so much money to invest in real estate and pay off your student loan debt and kind of, you know, finance your living at the same time? Seems like a lot on your plate. How were you able to do all of that? We pretty much, like when we first got married, we, sh- we still lived like broke college students, even though we both kind of had you know, good kind of median income jobs. So I think our expenses, even today, we only spend like $2,000 a month on living expenses. So we just try to keep it real low because we know like the value of a dollar now, like we can grow that so much faster if we can just keep our expenses low now and invest. And then in the future, we can, you know, we can splurge on other things, but we don't really need much right now. So was there was there like a, a method that you used to figure out how much you would put away for savings or for real estate and how much you would dedicate to student loans per month? So what actually happened with my student loans is I actually just saved a good chunk of my paycheck for the first year and just paid it all off. So which might not be the best right now because I think my student loans were at like 6% interest and we make a lot more than that now in real estate. So it might not be the best for every listener, but at that time, that was the only thing I knew. So I had the 6% debt and I'd, I'd rather pay it off than have it accumulate. So I just paid it off right away. I understand that. And, you know, it's it's something that I think a lot of us deal with, especially, you know, turning an over a new leaf because it's like we all hate, you know, debt, especially debt that doesn't pay us. And, you know, it's easy to kind of, kind of think, hey, like, let me pay off, you know, let's just say you have $30,000 worth of student loans. Let me pay off $30,000 worth of student loans that's, you know, that's charging me 6% interest because I don't want to be a debtor. But kind of what you said, you know, if you're able to take that $30,000 and put it in in an asset that's yielding you more than that 6%, then sometimes it makes sense to not pay that off. So I definitely see where you're coming. And it's hard to make that, make a distinguishment for that decision but I'm glad that you, you were able to pay off your, your, your student loans and, you know, you kind of have this, you know, retrospective outlook or insight of the situation and you're able to kind of give us advice and, and people in similar positions can kind of figure out if they want to figure, if they want to start investing in an asset class that pays more than the interest that they're being charged on their student loans and other loans, or if they just want to, you know, take care of that. So it's definitely something to think about. So. You paid off your student loans and you started saving up for real estate. Where did you get your real estate education from? How did you kind of just start buying rental properties? So I said that we came across biggerpockets.com. So actually, most of my education was from there. I just like when we watched one of the webinars, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And after that, I just started reading all the blogs and forum posts. If I had a question, like I'll type it in the search box. And usually there's like 10 other people who asked it. So. Yeah, most of my education was from there, actually, and really just doing it. So once we kind of saw, okay, we need to buy a rental, I just started talking to some agents. And really, some of the agents we talked to weren't the best. I ended up getting my real estate license, too. But it's really just action. Like, you learn so much when you start doing things. Just the little things that you you know, people, like I talk to people now that are kind of newer in the investing game. And... It's really hard to kind of advise people if it's if you're looking at something so wide. But when they ask something specific, you know, I can help them out a little bit more. 
because usually it's just that one thing that gets you stuck. Definitely makes sense. And, you know, it's amazing how you were able to get a lot of your education just from bigger pockets and you didn't have any anybody kind of guiding you, no mentors. It was more, more you know, find and research information and then implement. So in the beginning, we didn't really have anybody up until the point where we started flipping. We were flipping a few houses here and there. And then one of the people I met through Bigger Pockets, who I consider a great mentor of mine, his name's Bill Allen. I just saw his business like explode. Like we kind of started the same way buying rentals, but he also started flipping houses and wholesaling about the same time as we did. But like in just a span of a few months, he had like a whole business, you know, running itself. And I was still kind of just doing a flip here and there. So I kind of just looked at what he did and kind of approached him and then I went from there. Okay. Now, the one thing I love about your story, Ari, is that you kept tweaking until you found a formula that worked. So you got here to the U.S. three to four years ago, and you started off with one formula, which was, you know, get a W-2 job, nice paying medical field job. And, you know, you thought that was going to be your life, like you said. Then you started tweaking a little bit more to figure out how you can free up some of your time. And you decided to save up a million dollars to earn 5% in the stock market. And you realize that still didn't kind of match up with your goals. So you kept tweaking, kept tweaking, and you decided to go into real estate to provide some passive income for yourself. And you went into rental property investing and you started investing in rental properties. And that seems like it went well. Now, Mm -hmm. you kept tweaking, again, based on your goals and your why, because you wanted your time back. You wanted to be able to you know, go overseas, go to New Zealand, go to the Philippines and spend time with your family. So you kept tweaking and, you know, what was next? Is this where you stumbled upon flipping and wholesaling? And if it was, why did you decide to tweak some more to get to that? Why did you decide that that was, you know, your means to an end rather than rental property? Right. So like I said, first we bought a couple of rentals. The third property we had under contract could have been a rental, but also could have been a flip. The first two rentals we bought didn't really need a lot of work, maybe a few thousand dollars, and it was rent ready. But the third one needed about, I think, $30,000 to $40,000 worth of work. So the strategy we had employed initially to recycle our capital, you know, we would leave money in there because they don't usually let you finance more than what you actually just paid for the property out. So at that point, we decided to flip it, and we made about $40,000 on that first flip. And we were like, wow. Light bulb. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think at that point, you know, that was a good chunk of my yearly salary. And we did it in one flip that, you know, we bought and sold in four months. So that was just, like you said, a light bulb moment. You know, wow. You know, we're with the rentals. I think we were getting about a 10% return on our capital invested. And we were going to speed up our goal. I think, like you said, it was like a 15-year goal. And then with the rentals, we were going to do it in eight. But now with the flips, you know, we kind of thought, hey, if we could just flip a few more, maybe instead of waiting eight years so that I could maybe quit my job, if we can do more flips, well, I could focus on that and that could replace my job now and we can focus more on real estate. So we actually, I think it was, wasn't was until November of last year, so 11 months in to the investing game that I actually mustered up the courage to quit because even after I met our goals, I think my first goal was just to match what I made. Because if I was going to quit, I better had made it, right? Made the money. I'm very conservative. So I wanted to make sure I make that money first before I leave a reasonably well-paying job. But I think we beat that goal and then more. But there was just that fear of, hey, you know, this is what I studied however many years for and had student loan debt for. And then at that point, that was kind of who I was, you know? So it was pretty scary. Yep. And I, I see a lot of people face that. And I've talked to many and many of listeners who have said, you know, it's hard to kind of kind of get out of that, especially when your student loan debt is because you're, <laughs> you know, you're, you've accumulated so much student loan debt in the field that you've decided to study. So it's like, man, like, I don't want to throw all of this away. You know, I want I want something to show for it. But you know, you, you came to the realization like, look, this path that I just found is way better and I'm going to risk it all. And that's amazing. So 
Ari, eleven months. Like I haven't. I, that's unheard of to me. That is that is impressive. So so kudos to you for being able to do that in in eleven months. And you know that's that's one of the main talking points I want us to discuss today is, you know, how you were able to do that so fast, like what your mindset was. And, you know, it seems like you were you were pulling away or you were pushing away from pain because you knew that you wanted your time back. You wanted to spend time with your family, you know, and you wanted to start a new family. And you've been able to, you know, you've, you've came here, you know, three years ago, four years ago, and you were able to quit your job in 11 months. And you've been a real estate investor for for 18 months. I know people who who have been studying for 18 months and haven't mustered up the courage to get into their first deal. What made you so different? What made your outlook so different? Were you just a little bit more hungry or, you know, what was it? I think it just boils down it boiled down to my why and like I said initially I felt trapped like for real. Like I really felt trapped. Like you said I spent tens and thousands, probably close to $100,000 in my education to get to this point that I didn't want to be in. So I was either going to be like depressed and hate my life for the rest of existence or do something about it. So, you know, I kind of wanted to do something about it. And I think just that drive of like, you know, I feel like I was, I didn't want to be trapped anymore. So I just kept trying to claw my way out of really what I thought was the best for me just a few months before that. Okay. So I think it's just boils down to, you know, remember, why you're doing it and sometimes it it can be a strength and a weakness right like i didn't know i was going to be a 24-hour flight away from my family when i first started dating my husband or first started college but i kind of just got here and that's just what it had to be the rest is history i love it i love it i love it so ari we're going to talk a little bit about about you know two major major milestones that you know, you're looking to achieve or you were looking to achieve. One, you know, is the milestone you touched on before in which you had a 15 year, all oh, these goals kind of, you know, when I talk to people who have these long, long goals that can be cut down into like a month or two months or a year or two, it's just like, no, but you have the, you had this 15 year goal to accumulate $1 million so that you can finance the rest of your life. 15 years. And I was- original goal. That was your original goal. And today, Ari, your goal is to be able to give away $1 million per year to charities. Yes. Yes. That is our current goal. That is a vast, vast major difference, you know, between a 15-year goal to raise a million dollars for yourself and your family to be able to finance your lifestyle, now to be able to give a million dollars a year to charity. How do you expect to do that? Okay, well, we don't really have like a very step-by-step plan yet, but the plan right now, well, first we want to reach a milestone before that is for our company to make a million dollars a year, right? We need to make a million dollars a year first before we can start giving a million dollars a year. So we're hoping to accomplish that in the next 12 months. Really, we're working on, like I said, it's we, you know, we have team members and it wouldn't really be possible for it to just be me to wholesale these 15 houses since January and flip 10 houses since January, right? So we're looking for great people who can be part of like our team and just help us grow this business. And they need to have the same kind of goals as us and core values of kind of just, it's more really about giving now. Like when you, when you said that our first goal, it was really kind of selfish, right? Just, yeah. okay, yeah, I, I went a million dollars for me so that I can live. But as we've gone through this journey and this is the people we've met and the lives, you know, we've been able to touch, like, it's just amazing how much, how empowering giving is. I used to think that I couldn't give until X, right? Maybe I was going to wait a million, you know, the 15 years to have a million dollars before I could think I could give. But really, we're... We can start now. And since we started giving, it's just, it excites me more now. Like that million dollar a year goal, like it's, it excites me so much that like my kind of our goals are met now, like, you know, like basic food and shelter and seeing my family, I can do that now. But what excites me the most is I didn't even dream of being able to give that much and support. Like there's so many things that my husband and I talk about of what we want to do with that. Like one of the things is, I want to actually build a 
community for people with special needs. My younger sister has autism. So that's been one of my passions and kind of why I'm a speech language. I was a speech language pathologist as well. So we want to support that cause and just a bunch of other things too. But like you said, the mind shift was just amazing. And growing the company now is as much as me seeing my team members reach their income goals you know, and reach their goals as it is us reaching our goals. So I think it's just become bigger than us. And it's just amazing. It's just. I love that. That is truly inspiring and truly amazing. I hope that, you know, many of the listeners can follow in your footsteps. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, exactly what you do. And I know many of the listeners are are privy to fixing and flipping and also wholesaling. But for the listeners that aren't, what is fixing and flipping and what is wholesaling? What are the differences and and kind of why do you do both? And, you know, get into that story a little bit. Right. So fix and flips is really finding a property that needs some work, adding value to it by renovating it and then selling it to a retail buyer. Wholesaling is more, it's really more marketing and sales where you have this huge big funnel of people you potentially could work with. So we send out a lot of direct mail and have some internet campaigns to see if, you know, however many people in this neighborhood might potentially want to sell their house. And then we see if we're the right fit, if we're the right people to help them out. Because usually we say, you know, we can, we don't, you don't have to do the repairs because we're taking that on. We're renovating it and flipping it. So with the wholesaling, you either sell to another investor or in our case, we sell to our renovation department. Because I treat the wholesaling as a different arm of the business and the renovation as a different arm of the business because they really are separate. And I think that's what a lot of things, a lot of people when they get started in real estate kind of get confused about. Usually people talk about rentals, flips, and wholesales. And we've done all of those. We started with rentals and then flip and then now do wholesaling. And they're three separate different businesses. So like I suggest people to focus and you know pick one that you actually want to focus on and then you can shift and then you can learn all three but to just kind of say i want to flip and wholesale and my rentals it's it's really hard to get good at all three without first focusing i love that so you would say that flipping is you know buying a property renovating the property after you bought the property and then putting it on the market for sale and selling the property and mm-hmm. wholesaling would be you know, you would be in the process of buying a property, you would get that property under contract. And before it's time to close on that property, you would assign that property to another buyer for a fee. Right. Would you agree with that? Yes, you could also close on it and then do that. And like the way we do it in our business is most everything we get under contract, we'll tell our other investors to say, hey, this property came along. Most everything we have in a contract, we plan on renovating anyway. But if somebody will pay a little bit more than what we're willing to pay, we'll wholesale it to them. So that's kind of how it works in our business. Okay. Okay. And let's get into your business a little bit more and and figure out, you know, the intricacies of your business. So, you know, it's you and your husband and then you guys have three employees. You know, how did you start and, you know, what was your role back then? And then as you started to, you know, turn it into more of a business and, you know, hire employees, what roles did you relinquish and what do you do now? Right. So like everybody who's starting a business at first, you're everything, right? And it's really hard to focus on things that are important because you might be getting stuck with tasks, you know, just tasks that kind of need to be done, but aren't really what's going to make you the best bang for your buck, let's say for your time. So initially I was managing all the projects. So I was talking to all the contractors for our flips and that was just taking a lot of time because as you know, if you've worked with any contractors, it's really hard to get them to kind of stick to a schedule or a timeline. And then like the marketing, it's all a big pipeline. So you always want to be looking for more contractors because sometimes they'll do great on one job and then not so great on the other. So when we started out, we started out as a renovation company before getting into wholesaling. So that was taking all of my time. And one of our my friends was looking for a job at that point. They had just quit another position at a different construction company and they were looking for something else like, hey, you know, we'd really need some help. Would you like to be a project manager for us where you manage the contractors and, you know, take one job from start to finish? So that kind of just, that was a great blessing for us. The stars just aligned and he's great. He's still with us now and he manages all our, our projects. So really 
with the renovation side, I'm involved maybe 10% of it. And it's just for really the high level decisions of do we, you know, spend $20,000 or $30,000? Do we get that money back? Something like that. And then after that, we started doing some off-market campaigns late last year. And with that, we sent about 20,000 postcards a month. So it was it was a lot of phone calls. I would just spend the whole day answering phone calls with that. So I couldn't really focus on hey, like the business or even talking to the leads because I was just answering left and right. So we hired somebody whose main role is just to answer the phone calls and nurture our leads. So that's pretty much all they do the whole day. And then they'll do some admin tasks when the phones don't ring as much, but that's mostly them. So they answer phones and they do some admin ta- administrative tasks. And then our most recent hire is somebody to help me go on seller appointments. So when the phone rings, you know, sometimes they do want to sell and we'll set an appointment to see the property, kind of have a little tour and then hopefully come to an agreement on price and then we'll get a contract signed. So initially it was me going on all the appointments, me and my husband, Chris. And then now we go to about 10 appointments a week. And that was just a little bit too much way to drive. So we brought on somebody who goes on the appointments now with us. And that person's still in training. So hopefully they'll work out where I don't have to give them that much input anymore. But that's where we're at. And we're, we're going to continue to grow the team. But I found that I really need to focus on the person too. So I want to devote my focus on our newest hire and then get them up and running before we get the next one. Okay. And Chris, your husband, I believe he has a full-time job still, correct? Yes, he is a software developer. Okay. So what is his role in your real estate investments? So right now, he mainly deals with the disposition side. So like I said, when we get contracts and we'll send those out to our investors to see if anybody might be interested before we start renovating it. So he deals with that. He talks to the other investors, networks with them, and then he also handles the private lending kind of side. So he raises some money and makes sure our relationships with our lenders are are good. Okay. And what is your role evolved into? What does your day look like? So my day is a lot of phone calls, a lot of meetings. Still a lot Um, of phone calls? (laughs) Yeah. It's just I talk to the team members now, my team members instead of the sellers. So we usually start the day with like a quick phone call with each team member and just saying, hey, this is... They tell me if they have any roadblocks and then we kind of try to figure out how we can prevent those or change a few things. We're always hiring, so we always have a job add up. So I'm always kind of interviewing on the phone too and in person because you never know when that amazing person might show up. They're probably not just waiting for my ad to pop up. You know, It's a lot of training too. So our newest team, mem- team member, I spent a lot of one-on-one time with him and yeah, it's... It's a lot of meetings. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's let's talk a little bit about your investors. Now, you know, I'm a multifamily syndicator and my investors look for certain things when it comes to a deal. You know, they look for capital preservation. They look for tax incentives, which I'm not sure if you're able to provide as a as a fix and flipper. And, you know, they look for they look for that that equity, you know, that equity appreciation, you know, because they're not they're not debt investors, they're equity investors. So they're looking for that, you know, that equity upside. You know, what what would be the difference between the type of investors, you know, that are in my realm and the type of investors that are in your realm? And what are your investors, you know, more so looking for? Right. Well, a lot of our investors kind of like, I guess, a shorter term investment. So with the multifamily side, you know, it might be like a three-year or five-year kind of investment, whereas our, in the past, we've offered usually usually around a year is what our lenders have usually lent to us for. Now we have so, some so lenders. These are, these are debt investors? Yes. So they're debt investors. They have a mortgage and a promissory note on a property. Okay. And some people just lend directly to the business and then we allocate funds that way. Yeah, I think... The people who end up blending with us, they have usually have a real estate portfolio as well. And they kind of they're kind of just diversifying, right? So really the business we're in is pretty pat pretty active. So we're real estate dealers really. Yeah. If you look at the flipping and wholesaling business, not necessarily investing in the IRS way. We buy and sell houses. So some people like to diversify that way and usually our returns 
It's actually pretty amazing because in the beginning, I said my goal was to save a million dollars so I could get 5% from the stock market. And it's really nice because now we're able to offer usually around double that for our private investors. So it's just great, you know, be in the position to give instead of kind of just looking at what's out there and taking I love that. I love that. I love that. And and that, I think that that's imperative, especially when, when dealing, you know, with investors, you know, I feel like it, you, you give as much value as possible and as much as you can. And, you know, one way or another, it might not be directly through that investor, but one way or another, the world will find a way to repay you. And I think, yeah. I think that's, a, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, and I think one of the things too, some of our lenders have Ex, like they wanted to flip properties themselves. So I think there's just that whole HGTV thing where, you know, they kind of want to be involved in that making something not so pretty pretty. So, I mean, they are part of it, right? They were just silent partners, but they get the returns. Exactly, exactly. So maybe talk about your best deal to date. Give us the details on that. My best deal to date? Well, I really like wholesaling now because we can make a pretty big check with essentially not really much renovation. So I'm liking that. But really, I think for now, my best deal is still the second rental we bought. So we had, I think I got that property from the MLS. It was listed at like $100,000. It was a short sale. And initially I had offered $60,000 and the seller actually took it. But it had to go through the bank process and we eventually bought it for seventy-two. Now, fast forward, I kept that for a rental for a year. Fast forward, you know, this year, we actually ended up selling that because there was a lot of CapEx that came up and the tenant left. So we put about, I think, thirty to $40,000 in it and sold it for one seventy-five. So I think we'll probably clear around 50 something around that ballpark. But it's just my one of the best deals because it was right at the beginning when you know it was our second deal we didn't really know kind of what we were doing and we were just taking massive action and i mean a hundred thousand dollars on the mls who knew the seller would take sixty thousand dollars and the bank eventually took 72 or also it was a very short short sale that closed in two months so i think it was just a great blessing the stars just aligned and it was a great deal so that's my favorite deal so far that's amazing what about a challenging deal in which you were able to come out on top? So something in which you had to do, you had to, you had to get creative with the deal because you now have experience and you were able to think outside of the box. Maybe talk about one of those deals. Well, I'll tell you about my worst deal so far. And I think we still came out on the top. It was our second flip. And we took on, I think, a little bit more than we could chew at that point. Our first one was a very light kind of cosmetic paint carpet kitchen cabinets, things like that. The second one, like we spent like, I don't know, $70,000 in the renovation. We took out walls, we opened the floor plan, you know, I think what people think when they start renovating, that they got to get really excited. We were at that point and we weren't necessarily thinking of like the numbers too much. So yeah, we went over budget. The contractor that we ended up hiring didn't work out. So we had to redo a good amount of work, probably ten to $20,000 lost, and not to mention time. Usually our renovations take about a month. This one took four months. So with the money costs, since we pay our investors a good chunk, you know that eats a lot into the profit. So we ended up breaking even on that one, but our investors got paid a good, good <laughs> amount of money. So you know they came out on top. And I mean, that, that I treat that as a success because I pay them their money and the interest that we owed them. Our company didn't necessarily make any money. I chalked that up as my education in real estate. But yeah, I don't know. Lots of lessons, lots of lessons on that one. I love that. That was your first deal, right? Our second. Second flip? Okay. okay. So our yeah, that's, fourth that's, deal, that's, I think. That's amazing. And, you know, as long as you're able to to return money back to the investors, I still always consider that a win. But it sounds like you, you know, you, you've been lucky. You haven't lost money on a deal yet. That's amazing. So so this deal and maybe even some other deals, you know, would you say that as far as, you know, dealing with contractors and dealing with, you know, so many different team members and, you know, attribute, you know, you being a woman, of course, would you say that, you were at a disadvantage or you were at an advantage, you know, when it came to haggling and getting prices and, 
you know, making sure that they were completing projects on time. How were you able to do that? So I've learned many lessons now because of all that. Really, one of our the things that set us back there was we didn't we didn't vet the contractor as much as we should have. He was a friend of a friend, so we kind of just trusted him, and he had a reasonably good reputation. So we didn't, you know, we didn't call references. We didn't have an ironclad kind of contract starting out, and I think that hurt us a lot. So, and we also paid a deposit up front, like a, a sizable deposit up front, and it was hard to kind of get that back when things started turning sour. So one of the main things we learned there is never pay anybody up front if you haven't, you know completely vetted them a lot of the contracts we work with now we don't pay anything at all up front and we usually buy materials usually they start with demo so we'll pay for the dumpster but not necessarily upfront labor so i don't necessarily you know some people i'm like a short asian girl and i probably look like a teenager sometimes if i wear you know kind of youngish clothes <laughs> and i think you know i do get that sometimes they don't take me seriously but when I start bringing out the scope and like the contract and all that kind of stuff, you know, they kind of know I'm serious. And if they still don't treat me with respect, I'll just say, hey, okay, fine. I will call my husband and hey, guess what? He doesn't want to pay you $2,000 to put put whatever on. Right? I, love so. that. I love that. I love that. So it's not even, I mean, half the time you're probably not even calling him, but you're able to leverage the fact that you have a partner, you know, to say that, you know, we don't like this price, you know, let's let's figure out something that works. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Just use it to your advantage. What I've learned in this business, I can't change anybody else, really. I can only change myself and my outlook. So I just try to use most everything to my advantage and try to tweak it that way. So we end up both winning. And let's give some advice to the listeners speaking on advantages. You know, different people are, are equipped with different tools and different advantages, you know, entering the real estate game. Some people might have a rich great uncle. Some people might work in real estate on the corporate side. You know, everybody has their advantages and disadvantages. But, you know, let's just say we have a listener who has no real estate experience, who has no background in real estate, who doesn't have a rich uncle or, you know, somebody to kind of guide them through the process. What would you say is the best way for them to get started? I had none of those. So I do recommend you diving into a lot of the free resources out there. Like there are a lot of great podcasts like The Rays and then go to Bigger Pockets and things like that and just kind of absorb information. And then after you do some of that, I would recommend you reach out to somebody local maybe, kind of just take them out to coffee and see how you can add value to their business potentially. And, you know, with that kind of a give and take, ask them to ask them questions, ask them to kind of mentor you. And I think that's the best way you can go about it. Because like, like I said, I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning, that really long project where, you know, we broke even. I mean, that, that was a lot of my time, right? I wish I didn't have to spend my time on education. But if I had a mentor, I actually asked questions, I probably wouldn't have been in that spot. So I do recommend people just approach somebody who's, just a little bit more experienced than you. And usually everybody's pretty generous with their time, especially if you're also saying, hey, can I help you out somewhere? Yep, love that. Superb advice. So let's kind of jump back into your story, Ari. And, you know, the day that the day that you quit your job, or maybe let's talk about the day after, whichever one was more climatic or anticlimactic, you know, what <laughs> did you do the next day? Were you like completely bored out of your mind or were you, you know, were you overwhelmed with the amount of work you had to do or were you kind of like, oh no, why did I just quit my job? I don't know what to do next. Or how, how did you feel and what did you do that next day? I, it was funny. I think I probably went to, so I, in my job, I could do PRN where it's like as needed on call. I think I actually probably did like an hour or two of my, my previous job back then. but. In terms of like, I was really scared actually when I let go of the W-2 job because, you know, it was years of education, tens of thousands of dollars of student debt. And it was just really, really, really scary. But I realized that, you know, I was just really preventing myself from moving forward. At that point, we had already made probably twice or even more than that, twice or more than my salary before I quit. And... I'll share this little story, a little epiphany I had where we had one of my coworkers, I think we had him scrape some popcorn ceilings or something. 
And at our job, he wasn't getting paid very much, like I think close to minimum wage. And at the popcorn ceiling job, he got paid like $50 an hour because he did a great job and he did it fast. And we were trying to get him on board with one of our contractors to do more work with us. And I thought, this is a great opportunity. You're going to make twice or more than what you're making now. And it's a better you know, job. And he didn't take it. I was like, what are you doing? Why did you do that? But I mean, I love him for that because that made me realize that I was doing the same thing, right? Like I had made twice my salary doing this on the side at nights and weekends and spending all this time. But if, if I could just focus on this, I could probably take this business to a whole new level. And we have this year, like we already did three times what we did last year and it's only July. But that was because I let go of that fear of failure. I was afraid of failing because I wouldn't have the excuse that I had a W-2 job anymore and couldn't focus. It kind of just took ownership of my future and the business's future. So yeah, I think that was, it took me a little while to figure that out, but it was the best, one of the best decisions I I've made. That. I love how you, how your aha moment came about. So does, does your coworker still still work there, or is he is he scraping popcorn ceilings? What is he doing? <laughs> he still works there. Yeah, he still works there, and it, it it's hard. I mean, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It's it's very hard. Like you know, you're used to that. And I'd like to get your opinion on this. Is it a sense of stability, or is it a false sense of stability? Is there really stability there, or like what what is your outlook on you know? people who aren't able to make that transition because of that fear? Well, there's this, you know, we all need some money to live, right? So I think at some point, we always have monthly bills. And it's nice to have the monthly paycheck that covers the monthly bill. So I think a lot of people kind of need that. So my advice for people who have that is either just, you know, save some money. So you might have like a six month or 12 month cushion and then make a make the jump. Or find out a way where you can maybe develop some sort of passive income to just, you know, cover that and then make the jump. But I think for me, it wasn't so much the monthly thing because we live really, really frugally and we had some cash saved up. But it was more the years I spent trying to become what I was. And like, it took me a long time. And my husband and I, he could tell you, like, we spent hours upon hours upon hours discussing that it's okay. You know, I know I spent six years becoming this and tens of thousands of dollars. That's kind of just sunk cost. You know, there's this great opportunity now. And this is what we need to do to get the lifestyle that we want and help people. You know, just we kind of just have to forget about it and look to the future. I love that. I love that. So your advice to somebody in that position is to either A, save up between six to 12 months of expenses so that you have that runway to get your business or whatever you're doing off of the ground or while you're working build up enough passive income to match your level of your w2 income so that you can successfully transition out so take either one of those two options and you will be fine i think that's amazing advice ari the best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that i subscribe to and now I'm prescribing for you. The world's longest running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit joefearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. You are listening to the Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions podcast. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? I'd have to say a rich dad, poor dad, just because it really is what started that mentality in me of, you know, instead of focusing on the negatives, focus on how, you know, don't think about why can't I, but think, how can I? I think that was the main thing in that book that really struck a chord in me. And I think set for life, if you've read rich dad, poor dad, I think that's a good kind of practical real estate book. And Set for Life is Scott Trench's book. He's the VP of yes. Bigger Pockets, and he is actually scheduled to come on the show here within the month. So listeners look forward to Scott Trench and sounds like his book is really good. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Okay. Okay. Question number two, what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? So I think it's more just 
keeping up our frugal lifestyle. So we don't really spend a lot of money. I still drive like a 1998 Toyota 4 with 250,000 miles. And we've always kind of been savers and frugal. Me and my husband, I think we're very blessed that we're both that way. And, you know, it'd be nice to splurge a little bit. But we just know that, you know, the money now, it could grow exponentially and it can snowball a lot faster if we just invest a good chunk of that now and then potentially just spend a little more, bit more later. Delayed gratification. Yes. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. That's that's amazing advice. And, you know, it's hard for a lot of people to do, but if you can just understand how compounding works and how you can exponentially grow something because you decide to save that and invest that and, you know, each of, you know, let's just say you're, you're, it's $3. Each of those dollars takes on a life of its own and it creates another $3 and those $3 create, an, you like, you have to, you have to think of it that way. Like it's, it's a big, big, big monumental snowball that you can create once you kind of start, you know, getting into that mindset. So I love that a lot. Question number three, who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? I think I mentioned him a little bit. So Bill Allen, which I think is one of the mentors I really consider who's helped change like me, my life and our business. He started around the same time kind of as us. And he's just taking his business to a whole another level. And just watching him do it and grow, I think just really encouraged me to do it as well. And we're good friends. We I asked him for advice a lot. And just connecting with other like-minded people like him has really helped me kind of think more about how I need to grow. Like really when we're growing businesses, like it's really us in order for the business to be better. Like I need to change so much of me as a person and me as a business owner so that we can progress. Love it. Why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? So I think it kind of boils down to your why and also taking responsibility for your future. Like, you know, I had a lot of excuses too. And I, sometimes I still make some excuses for myself and it excuses are fine. It makes us feel better. You know, I can say I'm a short little girl and that's why contractors don't talk to me. That's okay. That makes me feel better for a minute. But I also know that I need you know, like with our business, we renovate houses, right? We need to have contractors to do what we tell them to do. So I can give myself that excuse, but also I need to take responsibility for what my business needs to become. So I think, you know, just excuses are okay, but don't let that dictate your future. So your future is in your hands. So do what you need to do to get there. I love that. I love that advice so much, Ari. And I, and I appreciate having you on the show. This has been a Amazing. If any of the listeners want to get in contact with you, want to learn a little bit more about your company and what you guys do, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, just email me at ari at ghhouses.com. And we have a Facebook page to facebook.com forward slash ghhouses. So I'm usually on both of those. And if you're on bigger pockets, I'm there too. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, in summation, Hopefully, our BTM listeners have gained tons of insight in Ari's life. I know I have. And Ari has went from a medical W-2 worker to being able to quit her job in 11 months. She's been in this country for three years, quit her job in 11 months, and has been investing in real estate in 18 months. I think that is the best track I've seen yet. So kudos to you, Ari. And thank you for sharing your Before the Million story with our listeners and guiding us through you know, your life and being an inspiration to others. So I thank you and we will see you next time. All right. Thank you so much for having me, Dore. I think this is a great podcast and I think your listeners really get a lot out of it. So thank you for putting this together. No problem. Thank you. Another amazing, amazing episode. Glad you guys were able to tune in. I took a lot of value away from that show. Thank you, Ari, again for being on the show. We appreciate your input and your value so, so much. It's that time again, everybody. And I just want to give a special thanks to all of you who have left us a five-star rating and or review. You don't know how much that means to us. This week's featured five-star rating and review goes out to... Actually, let's do a couple. And this one was actually left on the website. So special shout out to Mariska Saki. Her review said, this podcast is definitely worth listening to. 
I was left with solid and practical financial advice to create future wealth. I also enjoyed the financial literacy book recommendations given in this podcast. Overall, great job. I cannot wait to soak up more knowledge in the episodes to come. Great review. Another review by Big Mickey Vitz says, Loved the energy of DeRay and his willingness to share his powerful message with the audience. Refreshing and entertaining and ideal for any entrepreneur. Love it, love it, love it. Again, thank you guys for all your five-star reviews. If you haven't already, please be sure to leave a five-star review and you will get shouted out on one of our upcoming episodes. Last but not least, the best way to help our community out, our growing community out, is to tell a friend, to tell a friend, to tell a friend about the show. So please, if you haven't, even if you have, tell somebody about the show. Tell two people about the show. Tell three people about the show. Get this into as many ears as possible. We're trying to shake things up, guys, and you can play a major part in doing that. So that's all we have for today's show, and I will see you guys next week. Hobble. many licks does it take to reach the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? The world may never know.